0: You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Vancouver with it. Up the center ice. Hamuse gets knocked down. Puck picked up by the Kings. to on one. Stole. Shoots. He scores! The Kings have a You're listening to
1: All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings.
0: Miller ahead to Palfi with room to stumble into the zone. Stumble a shot, save, rebound, scores! Adam Denmarch wins the game! Kings win the series!
2: Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings men. There are days when I feel insanely lucky to have this job, and today is truly one of those days. This is the first in a four-part series where we'll be determining the greatest playoff series in Kings history. This episode will be focusing exclusively on the first round, with each subsequent round coming in two weeks, and so on and so forth. Now, how do we decide which series were the greatest? Well, rather than have you listen to a conversation between me and my dumb friends, I thought I'd ask the opinions of two people I respect immensely, Nick Nixon and Jim Fox. But that's not all, you guys. Before we get to that conversation, I spoke to the very first voice of the LA Kings, Jiggs McDonald, about the very first playoff series victory in Kings history, which came against the Oakland Seals in 1969. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Joining me now, the original voice of the LA Kings, Jiggs McDonald. Thank you very much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. Happy to do this.
2: So, uh, before we get into the series that I want to talk to you about, let's just talk briefly about where the franchise was heading into that playoffs. Uh, they were a few seasons old. What were your expectations during those first few seasons? Um, you know, the league had expanded from six to 12 teams. The playoff format had changed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those who, uh, you know, took a, a long look, those
1: who write, I guess, some broadcast, uh, the critics said that, uh, they didn't have much of a chance. The, the Kings hadn't drafted well. Uh, there wasn't much scoring. And this, of course, was coming out of the original expansion draft in the summer of 67. Of um, I think they overlooked the fact that Jack Kent Cook had purchased the Springfield Indians at the American Hockey League, renamed them the Springfield Kings. And with that came guys like uh, Brian Smith, came two big defensemen in, in uh, Dale Rolfe and Bill White, Uh, Dave Amadio, uh, there were several others that he had the rights to who became NHLers, and that improved the hockey team. They they finished a point out of first place after the 67-68 season, lost in seven games to the Minnesota North Stars. So going into 68-69, there was a pretty good feeling about the hockey team, that they would be competitive and probably compete for top spot in the West. Well, that didn't happen. We had a a terrible road season. I think if uh, if memory serves, we won something like five games on the road that year. Pretty good at home, but just basically just squeaked into the playoffs and were coming up against a team that had had played well. Uh, The Kings had dominated Oakland early on, but uh, the Seals were a a much improved hockey team. Uh, They were the odds-on favorite going into the series. In fact, they had beaten... They'd beaten the Kings the last two times they'd met. I think it was an eight game regular season get together. LA winning four. There were two ties, and then Oakland winning the last two of that eight games.
2: Dutiful Kings fans will know the name Rogi Vashon, and real hockey nuts will know that Terry Sachuk was the first goalie in Kings history. But who was in between the pipes during that season?
1: Uh, that season, well, early on, just as they came out of training camp and into the first week of the season, Jack Kent Cooke was not happy with Terry Sachak. and that goes back to the Minnesota series and especially Game Seven. Terry had a terrible night, and uh, youth had to be served in the in the terms of Jack Kent Cooke, and he made a deal with uh, Montreal, as a lot of deals were. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Draft picks, future draft picks. Uh, he gave up two first-round picks for Jerry DeJardin, and uh, Jerry, Jerry actually uh, took over the goaltending from uh, Wayne Rutledge. Wayne had been, I think, Wayne had played more games than than Terry that first season. But being the veteran, they went with Terry during the playoffs in '68. Uh, then in '69, Jerry was the go-to man. So uh, it was DeJardin and Rutledge. Um, Game one of that series, Jerry got got hurt. Actually, he'd given up two bad goals, long long shots in the first period. And I know going into the series, he had been nursing a groin injury. So uh, Rut came in, and um, Wayne. I think I think Wayne got into two or three games in that series, but certainly uh, was a, a big factor in winning game one in in Oakland. The, the key really going into the series from Red Kelly's standpoint was defense would win. You, you got to play good defense against this Oakland team. And <laughs> I remember Red saying, we have to throw a blanket over that Norm Ferguson, meaning you just he put Real Lemieux on him as much as he could. Uh, Normie had, um, had led Oakland in goal scoring and, uh, he he was the the shutdown guy. They felt that they had to shut him down anyway, and uh, did a pretty good job of it too.
2: Is this was the first all California series, and obviously now the Kings and the Sharks are huge rivals. And you know the North California South, South California rivalry. Sorry, Northern Southern. I don't know why I'm saying North South, but anyway, you know with between San Francisco and L.A., you've got the Dodgers and the Giants. You've got you know the various different football yeah. teams that have moved in and out of. You know, obviously the Raiders have played in both locations, but back then, was there a rivalry between Northern and Southern California? The two teams are brand new. Did did the fans know enough to hate the Oakland Seals yet? Uh,
1: it was coming. It, there, there was, it, it, I know fighting doesn't really exist in our <laughs> game anymore, but I've always been a, a big proponent. It takes a battle. It takes a bench-emptying brawl. It takes something mean and miserable like that to uh, to create a rivalry, um, and it just it just hadn't gelled. Uh, the building game one of that series in '69. I, I don't think there would be four thousand people in the building in Oakland. There was maybe a few the following night uh, when we came back to LA. Maybe nine thousand, eight or nine thousand in the Forum. So, no, really, uh, what, what we regard as, uh, as a rivalry these days didn't exist back then. No. They, they tried. Game one of that, that 69 series uh, runs in my mind that there was a, a fight. I think Brent Hughes got into a tussle with, with somebody. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a hard, really a hard-played game one uh, in that series. But, no, we, we didn't really have a rivalry going.
2: Hmm. Well, the Kings win in overtime. Um, yeah. Not much yeah. of a not much of a defensive struggle based on what I'm looking at. 5-4 uh,
1: in overtime. Uh, the fact that they set a record, that uh, Teddy Irvin scoring at 19 seconds into overtime set an NHL record for the fastest overtime goal and broken a, se- a several times since. Here's a, a quick story for you on that. Um, Jack Kent Cooke, owner of the team, went to the dressing room at the end of the third period and offered, now I've heard two different versions, either offered $1,000, which was a lot of money in 68, or $500 to the player who scored the game winner. Uh, L.A. wins the draw. Um, it was Jimmy Peters. Jimmy Peters actually got a, a shot on net. Um, it wasn't really a rebound, the puck just there, and Irvin swooped in just barely made contact with it. And it went in the net 19 seconds in and, uh, and Teddy pocketed the money.
2: <laughs> I am uh, contractually obligated to point out that Ted Irvin is the father of Chris Jericho. Uh, <laughs> yes. he is. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know who Chris Jericho is, he's a wrestler, <laughs> a very popular one. Mm-hmm. Um, so Oakland goes ahead to win the next two. Um, I know Jack Kent cook was notorious for um, well, how to say it politely. Uh, <laughs> Passionate outbursts. Let's just say uh, yeah. you, yes. you mentioned he was disappointed with the loss the previous season. Did he ever, you know, other than offering a uh, you know a reward for an overtime goal, did he did he threaten anybody? Did he uh, you know offer any playoff missives to the organization? Uh
1: yeah, in roundabout ways. <laughs> you look you look at the roster. The 67-68 roster, the 68-69, uh, people, people left in droves uh, over and above Sawchuck. Uh, Skip Craig came in. Um, well, that's just one of, of many, of course, uh, Jerry Desjardins being the, uh, the the biggest name added. Uh, and Jimmy Peters. Um, Ronnie Anderson joined the hockey team that year. Um he, he just dealt people for the sake of getting rid of them. Uh, he, he he wanted to change that roster. He, uh, he was also trying to keep uh, the coach on board. Red had Red Kelly had indicated that he was going to leave at the end of his contract, at the end of the season, and, and Jack Kent Cook uh, tried to convince him to stay. Red had already sold his house and uh, was ready to move when the team was eliminated.
2: Hmm. Well, let's get to that Game 7, because like we said, it is the first California series, all-California series, and obviously the Kings and Sharks have had their back and forths in, in Game 7s. But uh, you mentioned Ted Irvin uh, earlier in Game 1. Let's flash forward to Game 7, where he shows up again in our storyline.
1: Yeah, he uh, he had a big game. Uh, game 7, Oakland, Freddie Glover's team just, just wasn't quite ready. Um, you know, when you... When you look at a Kings team that won five games on the road all season and then to win the game one in that series in Oakland and come back and win game seven, uh, you, I think everybody expected a, a more competitive hockey team from Oakland that night. Uh, granted, Desjardins was on his game. Jerry was very, very good. But uh, winning it 5-2 or 5-3, I think it was, uh, game seven.
2: 5-3 according to what I'm looking at. Sorry, yeah, four. Five, th- yes, five to three. Yeah, five three.
1: Yeah, um, we, L.A. got off to a good start. Re- really, uh, the Kings had a dominating first period, and that just seemed to uh, to take whatever game plan that, uh, that Fred Glubber and the Seals had come up with um, right off the board. Gary Smith suitcases. Uh, he was known Smitty. Not not Billy Smith. Gary Smith uh, played all seven games in that series. He was pretty good, but uh, gave up gave up one. I think one very questionable goal was it was either Menard or or Joyelle, uh in game seven that really seemed to just set them right back. They they had uh, they had no spunk after that, and part of it maybe was uh, it had been a tough series. There had been a lot of hitting. Uh, Oakland was a little older, Like the guys who really carried them during that series would be an Earl Ingerfield, um, Jerry Eamon, Jerry Odrowski. These were guys in their, in their mid to late 30s at the time, and I think the, the Kings just probably wore them out more than, than Oakland had realized.
2: All right, well, your recall is impressive because here's a paragraph from a, a write-up of Game 7. Gary Eamon brought the Seals within 4-3 to three with just under 10 minutes to go, but Howie Menard iced the game with his third goal of the series. Uh, Menard, so you you got it right, <laughs> right on the nose. I'm incredibly impressed. <laughs> I'm,
1: not, I'm not taking any of that uh, that over-the-counter or, or um, <laughs> prescription memory step <step-over>. up.
2: <laughs> no, that's that's good uh so the Kings win the series game seven their first playoff series obviously their first game seven win uh, and they go on to be swept for uh not the first or sorry the first time but not the last time by the st. Louis blues who we won't talk about today okay um,
1: <laughs> the, uh, you know one, one of the other factors that, that is so different going back to uh well 67 68 68 69 uh the playoffs the games were back to back the first uh, the first four games first two in Oakland were back to back, came back to LA with a day in between back to back games. Um, yeah, you, you had to be ready to play. Uh, and then of course there was a day to travel game in Oakland, back to LA. Uh, we left right after, well, not right after the following day, after winning game seven in Oakland, we left to go to St. Louis. It was a pretty happy group of guys, but uh, never got on track in the two games in St. Louis. And, uh, we not very good at home, but as you say, that's another series for another day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> did anybody in L.A., from your perspective, notice that the Kings had even won a playoff series, much less a Game 7 against a California rival?
1: Yeah, good old Stu Nahan. Stu, <laughs> Stu hockey through and through. Uh, he was, <laughs> he did everything he could possibly do. Tom Brokaw, uh, Tom Brokaw Stu Nahan. Um, Oh, Bryant Gumbel. Bryant was at at NBC LA at the time. And um, there was a fourth. They they used to come. uh, They would uh, eat in the press room. They would uh, be there for games. Games that at one time didn't start till eight o'clock. So they were out of the newsroom or off uh, their TV set and in the forum. For a lot of games, and, and Stu in particular stayed, would do live hits. Uh, uh, that, that, uh, that was the crew that really tried to promote uh, the game, uh, as far as television is concerned. Um, the, yeah, the community was beginning to rally a little bit uh, around the hockey team, and the fact that, uh, you know, the, going back, there was a fair bit of animosity toward uh, the Kings and Jack Kent Cook having gotten the franchise because uh, the late Dan Reads had had, had, the, uh, had the Blades, the Western Hockey League franchise, and uh, people really liked him as an owner. Uh, a lot of the folks, a lot of the fans felt that Mr. Cook uh, was too involved, didn't let uh, the general manager, Larry Regan, run the hockey team. <laughs> that, that might be of. a fair criticism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, um, he called the shots. Uh, there there's no question he was the man, as we called him.
2: Mm-hmm. well listen i want to appreciate you very much for coming on before we let you go anything you'd like to say to the uh kings fans we have out there who may remember that series or have attended
1: it uh it was a lot of fun it was uh it was an altogether different game than we see today wasn't it folks uh it uh i'm i'm glad you were there those that do remember um we we um well, we weren't <laughs> we weren't leaving a mark on the on the hockey community the way uh, Wayne Gretzky did when he arrived and um, the bold things that were done down the line. But it's it's a tribute, I think, to the to the first first and second year Kings that uh, they accomplished what they did. Then, of course, along came uh, Bob Pulford, along came Eddie Shack, along came a lot of guys. It was just a uh, a whole lot of trades and. Um, well, things that maybe shouldn't have happened. Uh, I remember a battle between Hal Lako, who was the the man who replaced Red Kelly, in that you don't trade the unproven. Whereas Mr. Cook, uh, Mr. Cook took a page from George Allen, <laughs> and I know I'm rambling on here, but it was George Allen's thought, and this was the NFL draft and how they conducted things that um, you traded away unknown quantity for proven quantity. Well, in hockey, it just doesn't work. You look at some of the bad deals with the Montreal Canadiens in particular. Uh, give credit to Sam Pollock. Yeah, he uh, he recognized when a player maybe had a year, two years left, and pawned him off to Jack Kent Cook for 20-year-olds at that time who would have great NHL futures. So, yeah, those who, uh, who stuck with us during those first, well, in my case, first five seasons with the Kings, God bless you. We did have some laughs. We did have some yeah. good times. But uh, we were we were the cornerstones to what's become a very, very good NHL franchise.
2: Yeah, that's right. The uh, the Royals to the Montreal Yankees uh, in a lot of ways. Indeed. Jiggs, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I appreciate it. Oh, uh, My pleasure. Anytime. Joining me now, two voices you should be well familiar with, LA Kings Radio play-by-play announcer and Hall of Famer Nick Nixon. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm doing well, Jesse. Uh, Great to be with you guys again. And former King right winger and current color commentator for Fox Sports West and the LA Kings, Jim Fox. How are you doing today, Jim?
3: Jesse, doing great. Thank you very much. Nikolai, hope all is well.
0: Everybody's doing well here. Um, Kind of uh, interesting times we're in, but uh, I'd like to think everybody's getting into a daily routine, and we just have to keep at it, and hopefully we'll be back sooner than later. Great. To
2: say the least, yeah, to say the least. All right, so I asked the two of you to look over all of the first-round series that the LA Kings have ever uh, played in in the playoffs and pick the series that you thought was the quote-unquote best series overall. Now, I also asked you to pick a backup. You both picked the 2014 reverse sweep over the San Jose Sharks in 2014. going to give a little background information on that series, and then I'll ask for your thoughts. The leading score in that seven-game series— Andre Kopitar with 10 points. Uh, Leading goals were uh, Justin Williams and Andre Kopitar, each with four goals. The assist leader, Kopitar and Dowdy, each with six assists. Dowdy played 26 minutes and 31 seconds per game. Uh, Justin Williams and Tanner Pearson, each with a plus four in those seven games. Jonathan Quick, obviously playing in all seven with a shutout in game five. LA outscored San Jose 26 to 22 in all seven games. Interestingly, from my perspective, anyway. In the three losses, San Jose outscored L.A. seventeen to eight, but in the wins, the Kings outscored them eighteen to five. Nick, what is what's your pivotal moment of that series as far as you're concerned?
0: Well, you know, you, you mentioned the uh, goal differentials uh, from the first three games to the uh, final uh, four games, and I think all of us, uh, after games one, two, and, and then obviously three, are thinking. What What's wrong with this team, uh, a team that has been such a, a good uh, defensive team, not only for that season, but for the prior few seasons, uh, obviously in 2012 when they won their first cup. So the big question for me was, what's happened to this team? And uh, then all of a sudden, you win a game. I mean, everybody expected that Kings would win at least once in the series, I'm sure, but they win one game, and, and then you hear all the, the hype about, uh, you know, from players and from media members, well, the, the Kings are going to be uh, another team to come back and win three no- from 3 nothing. You don't believe it, right? You don't believe it. Actually, it did happen, obviously. But uh, yeah, it was, it was like uh, they, they finally figured out how to play Kings hockey after it being down and their backs were against the wall. And by that
2: I mean they, they were a much better defensive team. Jim, was there a, a player, or a shift, or a game, or, or a lineup change that that you thought really turned that series around?
3: <laughs> Everything and all of the above. Huh? The thing I remember <laughs> about that series was when we landed in San Jose the day before Game One. Uh, normally, like I normally do, I went to Dean Lombardi and I said, Dean, can you can I give me you know ten minutes? I just need ten minutes just before the series starts to. He spent 45 minutes with me <laughs> and wow. 40 of those minutes were the process the Kings used to decide why they would target and pick up Marion Gabrick.
2: Hmm.
3: An acquisition. So he went on that. And he, went, he went in detail, the stages, who they talked to, who they scouted, who, who were specifically watching. I mean, brought it all together. To me, the moments of that series, there are... There are two to stand out for me. Jonathan Quick being pulled from game one. And then we heard later and learned later, we saw what was happening. We couldn't hear what was happening. Where when he was pulled, he went to the bench. And I'm sure there was a few F-bombs being thrown around (laughs) because it's Jonathan. But he he was saying to his team, I don't care. We're coming back in this series. I don't care what's going on. And he was just pulled. So he was out and he was pulled but he still had one thing in mind and that was the series as a whole. And he let his teammates know that. And then the other one that stands out to me, in my broadcasting career following a game, maybe the play that personifies, I would say power and control more than any other play I've seen in the playoffs. And of course we've seen some great ones of late, but it was the goal by Anje Kopitar to make it 2-1 near the end of the second period. He received the pass from Justin Williams who had stopped up, he picked it up, he looked up, everyone thought he was gonna shoot. Then he took a big step, pull, drag and a deke. And by the time the play was finished, Martin Jones was in the other corner, and Andre had a wide open net. To me, that exuded a control factor. Of course, that was all the way in Game Seven. My first one was in Game One. A lot of things happened in between that.
0: Yeah, and and the other thing, the other thing, guys, um, about that comeback, um, I, I mentioned. Everybody talks uh, the Kings will do it, especially after they got a win in in Game Four, but you look at the, the the team the opposition the kings were up against it was a team that had fallen short so many times in their history uh still obviously they've never won a stanley cup but they've disappointed themselves and they've disappointed their fans time and time again and looking back on it you know obviously it's their biggest playoff series loss ever for san jose but given the opponent and the frustration that they had gone through year after year after year with really, really good teams, that kind of uh, added to the um, flavor and added to the uh, contentment that the Kings must have had when they ultimately did come back and win that series.
3: You know, Jess, if I can share something here, Nick, you were around at the time, uh, but I think you were left behind probably doing a post-game, post-game uh, summaries and things of like that. Bob, myself, Judy, and I, we walked back from the arena to the hotel after game seven. And in all honesty, the exhilaration we were feeling, and we were walking back, and there was, you know, 90% Sharks fans in bars and restaurants, and we almost felt sorry for them. I mean, that's, you could could feel the dejection. In them of course you know up three and then they lose the series uh, most of them not more so a lot of them knew recognized us from tv and they were they were kind of talked to us back and forth but it was one of those things where you know what you, you take the win you don't rub it in you walk home you do your stuff you, you're happy but at the same time i, I <laughs> i'll be honest i felt for those fans they were just devastated
2: it couldn't have happened to a more tortured fan base right to be the fourth uh, team in history to lose a 3-1 series lead. And for it to happen to the Sharks, as as Nick pointed out, you know, such a uh, snake-bitten franchise when it came to playoff performances.
0: Yeah, and, and just to add to what uh, Jimmy was talking about, the frustration that he could feel from the, the fans going back to the game. And Jim, you were right. I was still on the air probably when you guys were walking back to the hotel. And I remember after we signed off, the uh, the longtime uh, radio voice of the Sharks, Dan Ruzanowski, came by my booth, and I-, I looked up at him, and he said the obvious, this is the most disappointing moment in Sharks history. Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's only happened, what, four times in-, in NHL history, as Jesse just pointed out. But just looking at Dan's face, I mean, you talk about someone who was directly involved with the team and has been since day number one. Boy, you're right. And Jim, you hit it. You hit it right on the head there when you said uh, you almost felt sorry for them because this usually doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, especially good to good teams. Uh, maybe if it's a seventh or an eighth seed, it could happen, but not to a team like San Jose uh, that, that that's been that had been so good for so many years.
3: Nick, just just to just to give the specifics.
0: I only had four glasses
3: of wine before you got off the air. So I just want to be one for each win.
2: Well, that that, that just shows the gift of gab I have on the post-game show. Exactly. <laughs> well, look, that was uh, the series that you both chose as the runner-up. And, I mean, look, it's a historical series, so that means that the picks for the best series of all time must be just as good. Now, I was shocked that neither one of you chose the 2001 series against Detroit. But we'll start out with Nick with his first pick, and it is the 1989 uh, seven-game series against the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, For some background, no surprise, Wayne Gretzky led the team in scoring over those seven games with 13 points, but a goal scorer that not a lot of Kings fans might recognize, but Chris Contos with eight goals, six of them on the power play, Uh, Wayne Gretzky with nine assists, Uh, Tim Waters and Luke Robitaille leading the team in plus-minus, and Kelly Rudy and Glenn Healy splitting the time. In the pipes, L.A. winds up outscoring Edmonton 25-20. to In the losses, Edmonton outscores L.A. 12-6. to But in the wins, 19 goals to 8 goals for Edmonton. Nick, why did you choose this one as the best first-round playoff series in Kings history?
0: Well, you know, when you gave me the list of all of the first-round series that the Kings had won that we had to choose from, I kind of whittled it down to three or four. Um, and obviously the one we, we just talked about, the, the comeback against San Jose, was, was one of those. But I went with uh, the 1989 first-round series for a number of reasons. Uh, one was expectations. Two was the opponent. And three would be the comeback. They were down three games to one. And at the time, no team in Kings history had ever rallied from being down 3-1. And I guess 3A or 4, if you want to call it that, would be the number of unlikely heroes that kind of stood out and and came through in key moments throughout the series to to lead the comeback. I I mentioned expectations. Obviously, the 88-89 season was Wayne's first as a king. And for me, having been with the Kings... Well, since 1981, I hadn't been with them all that long, eight, nine years, when that series started. I had the feeling, and I think a lot of people with the Kings, the fans in the organization, with Wayne Gretzky on board, I think the expectation was that going into the playoffs, the Kings had just as good a chance to win a Stanley Cup as any other team in the postseason. So the expectations were there, I think in reality, maybe for the first time in franchise history, because they had uh, Wayne Gretzky. The opponent, um, you couldn't have drawn it up any better, right? The team that trades Gretzky to the Kings, Edmonton is the team Gretzky plays in his first playoff series as a King. So you had that drama. And then, of course, the comeback. As I mentioned, the Kings had never rallied from being down uh, 3-1. Uh, in a series, and and they've only done it twice. Uh, The San Jose one uh, in 2014 is the other one. But, uh, and this is interesting. Uh, You know, the comeback speaks for itself. But, I remember I was doing TV uh, during this series, and I interviewed Peter Pocklington in between periods 2 and 3 of game number 3. This was the game, the first game in Edmonton. And, the look on his face with the Oilers up 4 nothing after two periods and going to take a 2-1 lead and having traded Gretzky and been put through the, the coals up in Canada, not only Alberta, but throughout Canada for trading Wayne Gretzky. He was so smug. Oh, this is great. We're going to win the series. And this, this trade is going to make me look great. Well, you know, as it turned out, and I, and I often wonder, if any of the Kings players, especially Gretzky, had ever seen that interview after it aired uh, during the series, uh, because obviously that's locker room fodder for, you know, coming back, you know, uh, many coaches and players would post newspaper clips of something that, you know, is derogatory towards a team that just helps fuel a comeback attempt. So, so, you know, the opponent, Edmonton, Pocklington, joining us on the broadcast and and thinking that, oh, this is great, even though we traded Gretzky, we're going to win, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then I mentioned, and then this is true almost in any playoff series, has been for years, sometimes it's the guys that you least expect that really come through in a big way. And Jesse, you mentioned the numbers on, on Chris Contos. Uh, scored goals, and Five of the seven games in the series, had a hat trick, still a club record for goals in a playoff series uh, with eight. And here's a guy who who played more playoff games for the Kings than he did in the regular season in his career, <laughs> had more goals in his uh, playoff career than he had in, in the regular season with the Kings. That's unheard of. So yeah, Chris Contos, so who is this guy? Comes out of nowhere. And what, six of the eight were power play goals, which were huge. Uh, Mike Allison, a guy that because of knee injuries was was at the end of his career, but gets a chance to play. And obviously his goal he scores in game six late in the second period to tie up the game. Kings then go on to win game six with three third period goals. With Randy Gregg draped all over him. Walks out with the Greg on his back, holding the puck with one hand on his stick, and he and he beats the goalie to tie the game at one. Uh, you know that that's just great stuff. You you can't write it any better than that. And then on defense, uh, a player that probably 99% of the Kings fans today have forgotten about, or maybe never heard of, Jim Weimer. He was a guy who played for then coach Robbie Futorek in New Haven, uh, came up, played every game in that series, was pretty solid, and and winds up with a game-winning goal in Game Six, the only goal he scored uh, in the series. So those were some of my reasons for picking this series over two or three of the others, uh, which would have included the San Jose series that we've talked the show about at the top of the show. And uh, round one, Vancouver in twenty twelve, on the way to the uh, to the first Stanley Cup. So, so that's why I went with uh, nineteen eighty nine, down three one to the Oilers, and come back and win it.
2: Jim, any memories from that series before we get to your pick?
0: Uh, just to touch
3: on something Nick brought up, and that was you know the expectations, but uh, truly the biggest effect. I believe that Wayne Gretzky had on each team he played for was the honest belief that you have a chance to win it all. Regardless of what happened in the regular season, regardless of what's happening in the midst of us you just, the players always believed that it could be done. And I think that's what, what Wayne brought to the situation. And, uh, you know, whether he dominates the series or not, just because he's there and on the team, you believe.
0: And, and just to add also um, the expectation, uh, when Gretzky was traded uh, in the summer of 88, I remember then Boston General Manager Harry Sinden said, uh, this changes the whole dynamic of the NHL. Remember, the Oilers had won four of the previous five Stanley Cups up until the trade, probably when five straight if Steve Smith doesn't put the puck in off Grant Fuhrer, right? So So this is a team that was just dominating with so many future hall of famers on their roster and with Gretzky now out of the mix in Edmonton. And now with the Kings who had some pretty good talent around him, uh, they would get more talent in the coming years with Gretzky. Uh, You just had the feel that the Kings had just as good a chance as any other team to win. And, and for me, uh, Those first five years with Gretzky, Gretzky's in his prime years, late 20s and then early 30s, starting with the playoffs in 89 and then going through to 93 when they did get to the Stanley Cup final for the first time. I felt in each one of those playoff seasons that, hey, we can win. I mean, we've got Gretzky, and then later on, they had players like Granato and Sandstrom and Yari Curry and Charlie Huddy, so... Yeah, it it was uh, the expectation for me, and I think a lot of fans, was that, okay, now this is for real. We can actually do this.
2: That was in the sweet spot of my uh, fandom, right? Because I was just entering my teens when Gretzky was in his prime, and certainly as a fan, uh, until the Kings won the Cup in 2012, it it would always be an extra stinger that somebody could get you on, and they'd say, well, you never won the Cup with Gretzky. And you'd say, ah, you know, it just hurt so much when they'd say that because you had no comeback. And Then, of course, the 2012 and 2014 Cup sort of erased that um, stain. But, Jim, your pick for best first overall series is a, a series that you played in and uh, one I was sort of expecting both of you to agree on. But it is the 1982 Miracle on Manchester series. Uh, running over the stats real quick. Leading scorer in the series, Daryl Evans with ten points. Obviously, Daryl, a longtime partner of Nick on the radio. Goals leader, Daryl Evans with five goals. Assist leader, Daryl Evans with five assists. Plus minus, Daryl Evans again with a plus five. Uh, total goals in the series, LA outscores Edmonton twenty-seven to twenty-three. In the losses, Edmonton outscores LA six to four. But in the wins, and this is these are crazy numbers. In the <laughs> in the wins, LA outscores Edmonton twenty-three to seventeen. Jim, why was this your pick for best overall first-round win by the Kings? Well, you know, I I start with the numbers.
3: You know, um, regular season, Edmonton, 111 points. Kings, 63. Still the largest deficit of any playoff series ever won by the team with a fewer points. So... You have that, you know, expectations. There's no expectation the Kings are going to win the series at all. It's not even close. There's no one thinking that. The Edmonton Oilers, first in goals for during the regular season, seventh in goals against, not too bad. The Kings, 14th and 20th. Now keep in mind, there's only 21 teams. So second from last. So all of those numbers come together and you say there's no way. Then, I'll I'll go with Nick and the opponent. Well, Gretzky, Messier, Curry, Anderson, Coffey, Fuhr. I mean, I'm I'm missing some guys here. So so. yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now on the Kings, of course, you have, you know, Marcel Dion, you have Daryl who stepped up unbelievably, especially early in, in, in that series and, you know, power plays and all of those things. But, To me also the reason, because I don't think people put a lot of thought to the fact that the Kings won the series. They just think about Miracle on Manchester. They don't think about the Kings having to win a couple more, one more game after that to end up winning the series. A couple of weird situations that happened. Of course, 10 8 in game number one. I was lucky enough to be on the ice for the empty net goal by Bernie Nichols, which I believe, and you know, with the, all those things they can do nowadays and tracking and all that, by far the longest pumper nickel in the history. He basically started it at Edmonton's blue line, skating <laughs> back towards his own net and ended up behind the Kings' net before he ended it. But of course, 10 8. 10-8, how can you, would anyone believe that? There's no way they would believe that. Then, which I think is a key that a lot of people don't think of. To me, in my mind, it was a huge key. Games two and four, the Kings lost. But each game, 3-2 by only one goal. And I think that's huge. There are other playoff series in different years where the Kings played the Oilers and they got waxed in a certain game. You know, I'm talking about a six, seven goal beatdown, And then you, j- you just don't feel like you have it. In this series, as weird as it may seem, even I think we all felt as players we had a chance because we were never dominated in that series, except for the first two periods of game three, of course, Miracle on Manchester. But how close the games ended up, 3-2 in game three. Two, three, two in game four, the two losses by the Kings. I remember the teams flying together, right? On the same plane. Back for game five because of the schedule. No no day off in between those games. So the the Oilers had to load the plane first. Then we came on after. And I've told this story before. Very few people know this happened on the plane, but when I walked by the Oilers, I jumped on Dave Semenko, rest in peace, Dave, and I whacked him a couple times. I beat the hell out of him. Then I moved back to my seat,
2: just to send you
3: know send a message to, to the other team. Uh, but we had a meeting the day of the game. You know, kind of a you know you have your pregame meal. You know, around noon, one o'clock meeting, and I can't remember whose room it was. But it was, you know, we all got, we didn't have, you know, back then it wasn't, you know, boardrooms and all of that. We just got together in someone's room and, you know, we went over certain things that, you know, tactical issues. And, and, and I just remember at the end of the meeting, Mike Murphy, he stood up at the end of the meeting and he just said to everyone, and I don't know if it's verbatim, but he said, guys, if we do exactly what we just said, we will win this game with relative ease. That's what he said. And, you know, I think we all felt good about it. I think we all felt good about it. And and Mike, obviously, by just saying that, well, we end up winning 6-4. I think we were up 6 two. We win 7-4 in the game, 5. I think we're up 6-2 two after 2. So they got a couple, late, you know, to kind of make it now. Somewhat interesting, I guess. But all of those things together, I just, you know, how how good they were and how disappointing the Kings were in the regular season. You jump into a playoff series, you have a 10-8 game. You have a 5 nothing down game, comeback and Miracle on Manchester. The last game, game five, relative ease for the Kings. Um, again, the roster the Oilers had. And I think you're right, Nick. If it wasn't for the bounce off the back of the pad by uh, Steve Smith, it probably would have been five in a row by the others. And I always like to say we ticked them off enough where they won four of the next five. So that's uh, that's how good they were. But it's just one series. It's one win. And the Kings were able to pull it out.
0: You know, uh, Jesse and Jim, you were mentioning uh, the goals and uh, the fact that Edmonton was averaging almost five goals a game throughout the uh, decade of the 80s, and they were the highest-scoring team that year. But you look back on that five-game series, and it's something that we've talked about over the years. Here you have a Kings team that that is barely, well, they weren't a 500 team, but you know a team that nobody gave any chance to. But they were winning by outscoring the Oilers, the highest-scoring team. And the Oilers were winning by playing... <laughs> It closed to the vest, so to speak. So th- that's always been intriguing to me about this series, the high-scoring games you'd figured Edmonton would win them, but the Kings did, and 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 the low-scoring games the Oilers, you know, got the two wins.
2: Well, Nick, I'm looking at uh, the box score from Game One right now, and Jim, you rattled off the name of all the uh, you know the Hall of Famers and excellent players on the Oilers roster, but I'm looking at this right now: Dave Taylor, Marcel Dion, Charlie Simmer, Bernie Nichols, and one Jim Fox. All scoring goals in that uh, first game. That's a pretty good lineup, too.
3: Oh yeah, it's it's no question. It's it's a you know you have Marcel Dion now at seven hundred twenty-one goals in his, in his career. If if I have the numbers right, I mean Hall of Famer, first ballot, no question. All those, uh, you know, we all feel that Bernie and Dave are on the edge of of the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, I think most people feel, certainly Kings fans, that Dave should be in there. I think Bernie could make a pretty good argument based on points and what he's done throughout his career. But again, it was just overwhelming the fact that, that the group of Kings were able to pull together. And and just, you know, I remember in that series, after the series, because I played for whatever reason, if I'm not mistaken. Bernie was my sentiment, of course, and we played against. I think we, we were matched up against Messi and Anderson for most of the series. I was begging to play against Curry and Gretzky. I mean, at least I could catch them. With Messi and Anderson, you can't. You just, they were so fast. And and it's just, you know, to even come close to me is is, is a reason why it sticks out.
0: Let me ask you this, Jim. Uh, you obviously played in that game, uh, in the Miracle on Manchester game when you're down five nothing. What what's going through your mind, your teammates, uh, in between periods two and three? I mean, what was your outlook? I mean, obviously, if you lose the game, you're still in the series. Uh, you're down two one. You wind up being up two one. But what what was the what was the feeling like? What was said, if anything? when you're going to that dressing room down after two periods, 5 nothing.
3: It it was – I'd like it to be more than what it was, but it wasn't. It was the honest cliché of, okay, guys, let's win a period and we'll take it over into the next game. Let's win 20 minutes and that will carry over. We'll build up some momentum into the next game. And that's, that's what we were thinking. I do remember, and this has – you know, it's – it's hindsight, right? And I do remember skating around, taking laps before the period started, before period number three started. And I just, whatever reason, Dave Lumley, you know, he's kind of an agitator guy, uh, you know, played hard, played tough, played rough, uh, could, could score here and there earlier in his career. But he was he was just laughing. He was actually, he wasn't laughing at us. He wasn't. like It's not like he was looking across and laughing. He was just, but he was laughing about something that he was chatting with with someone on his team as they were, sk- so flat out laughing and it just stuck in the back of my head and go, holy jeez! Now that didn't spur me on, it didn't motivate me. But at the end of the game, I remembered that. And I still remember that to this day. So perhaps lessons that the Oilers had to learn, right? They had to learn that anyone at the NHL level has a chance. Uh, we may not be as talented, we may not be as skilled, but we are in the NHL. And we have a chance, and we proved we could do it.
2: I want to ask you guys real quick about goaltending. Mario Lasard was the goalie in net for this series, and I think I've spoken to you about it, Jim. Obviously, Quick, Vashon, and Rudy are the top three of the uh, the Kings' totem pole. But where does uh, Lasard fit for you in the in the overall ranking of Kings goalies?
3: Well, I think you know early on in the Kings franchise history, under Bob Pulford, of course, they had. Some outstanding teams that just won games with solid defense and, of course, great goaltending. Uh, Mario played in a different style, uh, a different era. I I do remember his first year because, excuse me, my first year, and he was an all-star that year. The Triple Crown line and uh, Merrill Lassard. The game was played at the Great Western Forum in L.A. And he deserved it, though. He really did. Now, he did have a style that we would laugh all the time, right, Nick? I mean, he's, yeah, he's you know, he's flopping around like a seal out right there. I mean, he, we because would, would, that was his style. I mean, he would be, he'd be all over. But, but he was, you know, nowadays we call him an athletic style goaltender. Um, that season was truly special for Mario. Uh, his first year, my first year, which is eighty eighty one, 81 the year before the Miracle on Manchester series. Uh, but he brought that same type of style into to a game. I, I think he brought an excitement in his style. Uh, was it third period of the miracle game where we, had, I think we'd started our comeback already. It was probably five, two, maybe five, three. And Mario, he chased down a loose puck after it. Meshe got to there first. So Mario ends up being, you know, 25 feet outside the net, flopping around the middle of the slot. And Messi misses a wide-open net, which probably would have been the dagger at that time. But since they didn't get any more, we got the rest. Uh, Mario, uh, very, very athletic, all over the place. Uh, played played more with uh, energy and passion than he played with technique.
2: He had a relatively short career, but fourth overall in career wins for the LA Kings. Is he the fourth head on your Kings goaltending Mount Rushmore?
3: Kings, I would put him there again, I, because you know, again, like a guy like Felix Potvin comes over to me, he's a maple. All those, but yeah, Mario belongs up there. Okay, right. what do you think, Nick? Nick,
0: do you agree? Um, boy, I, I'm, yeah, I mean, Felix Potvin comes in, but he wasn't a king from the start. Um, you know, certainly the the, the numbers really tell the story with career kings goaltending. It's quick, Vashon, Rudy, one, two, three, and then after that. Um, you know, yeah, Felix Podban, would you consider, uh, Jamie Storr was a king from the start, never really developed as to the, uh, goalie they had hoped as a bonafide number one, but, but did put up some good numbers. So yeah, I think Mario probably, at least is probably in my top five.
3: Now, Terry Sawchuk was around Nick right early on, but again, yeah, not, not a king, year. though. You know what I mean? Yeah, not a king.
0: Yeah, you know? right. Exactly. exactly. Franchise
3: wise, uh, you know, he, he's certainly Hall of Fame numbers that he picked up for other franchises.
2: Yeah, yeah. Terry Sachuk, uh just ten wins yeah. overall in the regular season as a king. Yeah, so yeah, um, he
0: only played the one season, uh, year number yeah. one, and and uh, even in that first playoff series, uh, I know he didn't uh, fare well. Uh, He was battling injuries towards the end of his career. He did play another couple of years, I think, after he was with the Kings, but he was kind of at the end of it. And, uh, you know, he's with an expansion team. So everything really didn't fall into place for Sawchuck to be a
2: factor for the Kings. Well, listen, guys, this has been been amazing. I appreciate both of you coming on. I want to thank you. Uh, Nick, did Jim change your mind about what the best overall first-round series for the Kings was? Uh, no. um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was in my four that I circled.
0: Uh, there were, what, uh, 10 or 11 of them for us to choose from, and uh, I circled. I went chronologically, 82 uh, with the Oilers, the miracle on Manchester season. Uh, the one that I picked was 89, and then the two first rounds that uh, led to the Stanley Cups. Uh, I, I think everybody would agree that probably any of those four rounds in either of those years is uh worthy of consideration so those were my four years it's interesting you had mentioned the detroit series in oh one earlier jesse uh that really wasn't on my radar but uh (laughs) maybe it it slips
2: in at number five yeah and jim did nick change your mind um
3: of the uh, 10 or 11 series that Nick was mentioning, um, his ended up number 11 for me. So, <laughs> Hey, we had the same
0: <laughs> opponent. We had the same <laughs> opponent. Yeah,
3: that's right. Now, you know what, Nick? From the from the Vancouver series in 12, uh, again, another things that stick out, again, first round series, uh, President Trophy winning Canucks, right?
0: Yep, yep. I remember exactly.
3: the morning skate of game one and Daryl Sutter doing interviews with, in the scrum. And after about the first three questions were, which were all from Vancouver media, basically passing along the accolades of the Canucks team during the regular season. Daryl just looked up and looked at everyone and said, geez, I don't even know why we're here. We have no chance. Yep, of yep. <laughs> and, and of course he's dead panning it and he's just throwing it right back at them. And, but that's, I, I remember that, how we get off to a start and, uh, and uh, certainly, you know, Free zip in every series that year, including that first-round series against the uh, Vancouver Canucks.
0: Yeah, and again, we talk about expectations uh, going into 2012. What were the expectations? The Kings barely got in as the eighth seed. so uh, and, that, and that that's why I kind of lean towards the year of the series I picked because of uh, the expectation factor.
2: Excellent. Well, again, I appreciate both of you joining me. Kings fans, I hope you enjoyed it. Come back in two weeks as we take on the second round of the NHL playoffs. Jim, Nick, hope you're doing well. Thanks again.
0: Thanks, Jesse. Our pleasure. Thanks, Nikolai. Thank you. Talk to you guys soon.